Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Democrat John Ossoff comes in first place, almost wins it outright in Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. And now just wait till June 20. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Wednesday, April 19. Uh, great to see you today. Here we go. The Bill Press Show off and running. With the news of the day coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill right in the heart of the action, bringing you up to date on all the news here from Washington, uh, from around the country, President Obama out in Kenosha. President Obama, I Whoa. wish, I wish, Whoa. I wish. Damn. President. Still not quite used to it, are you? That other guy, Donald <laughs> Trump, out in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, yesterday. Um, but news here in the White House uh, when we found out that the uh, big aircraft carrier that was heading to North Korea was actually going in the wrong direction. <laughs> God, I'm telling you, it just gets worse and worse from the gang that can't shoot straight. We'll bring you up to date on the news and uh, look forward to hearing from you at on Twitter, at BP Show. Let us know what you think about the news. Agree or disagree with our take uh, and we got big stories to talk about today. Yes, that aircraft carrier going the wrong way. Yes, Georgia 6 with a big runoff now on June 20. On tax reform, Democrats are saying, huh, you don't release your tax returns? We're not going to give you tax reform, Mr. President. And Ivanka Trump already turning the White House into a cash cow and the case building for impeachment charges against Donald Trump, and we'll talk to you, the author of a new book out on the case for impeachment. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Yes, indeed. Uh, former U.S. President George H.W. Bush has yeah. been admitted into a hospital again for treatment of a mild case of pneumonia. This is the second time that he's dealt with pneumonia in the last three months. His spokesperson says he, quote, is going to be fine. <laughs> so uh, everybody's feeling pretty good about this hospital stay. But, you know, it is, in his state, you're always a little tricky. But they say he's going to be fine and he'll be out soon. But uh, he is there and getting treated for it right now. And best wishes to him and good health and hope he gets out soon. He yeah. said he's going to stay there until he's rested and yeah. no hurry to get him out. Yeah, Just no hurry. Take yeah. your time. Take your time, man. Got lots of socks to keep him company. Yeah. That's right. Thanks yeah. to Bill. <laughs> that's, that's right. Shocking news <laughs> overnight. <clears throat> Just uh, last week on Friday, Aaron Hernandez, former New England Patriots player, was acquitted of two counts of first-degree murder. Well, we woke up this morning to find out that he hanged himself overnight in prison. He is dead. Aaron Hernandez, former New England Patriots Sad story. Uh, player. Yeah, just a... He was already serving Ugh. three consecutive life sentences. I was going to say, he has three so. life sentences for a previous murder conviction, but he right. was acquitted of one last week. 
Not sure what drove him to this, but that, but that seeing, is the end of Aaron Hernandez. Seeing him in the courtroom, hugging his attorneys and his family, and you know, now here we his, are. His fiance has stayed by his side the whole time, so I imagine that plays into that. He's sure. been very close well, with her, and sad story. Twenty-seven years old, which obviously ooh. is the number that uh, you know shows up quite a bit with famous folks. So, also uh, today is the day that New England Patriots come to the White House. By Awkward, way, yeah. Which is yeah. Little, in terms of timing, is a little bit bad. And uh, if you're worried Trump about Trump, will blame it on Obama. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> if you're worried about the way that the world is going now, uh, well, maybe you have a chance to get away from it to tomorrow. A large asteroid is hurtling towards Earth. Although NASA says, "Don't worry." It's not going to hit us. It's about time. It's not going to hit us. Now, this is a huge... If it does, I hope it's North Korea. <laughs> it's a huge asteroid. They say it's the size of the no, Rock of Gibraltar really? or Whoa. the size of six NFL football fields. <laughs> it's, going to come be, it's going to come within five lunar distances to Earth, which is 1.1 million miles. Now, that sounds like a long way away, and it is, but this is the closest that we've seen one since 2004 when there was an asteroid that passed by... About four lunar days. Could you see it? Yeah, they say you'll be able to see it. Really? Yeah, you'll be able to see it. So it's not as big as the moon. No, it's not as big as the moon. Oh. I'd love to see it just whiz by. Just don't get too close. If it's a million miles away. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. Are you ready to go? I hope so, because we are off and running here. The Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, April 19. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Good to have you part of the Young Turks Network, a part of The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We're here on perched right down the street from the United States Capitol Building in our studio and uh, reaching out to you coast to coast. On uh, several different platforms, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, where you're watching it live, we hope. Good to see you on Free Speech TV, watching us live, and listening uh, on, and maybe listening and watching at the same time, on WCPT out in Chicago area, again, part of the Young Turks Network. You are part of the program by by uh, just uh, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And don't forget our podcast uh, all day long. You can check out the podcast. People have asked us if we would put the whole entire show up. So now we do. So ask and answer. You can now get the entire show on iTunes. <laughs> if you don't use iTunes, go to BillPressShow.com. We have the podcast right there. A lot of different easy ways that you could get the podcast. And that way you don't miss it. Yeah. anything. Go I- get it. Subscribe, rate, review. You get it downloaded right to your phone every day. It just comes automatically once you subscribe. And you can listen up any time of day, right? Yeah. Right? Anytime you want. Yeah. Take it with you. On an airplane. You don't even have to have a uh, streaming connection. Just download it. You got it with you. All right. Fly the friendly skies. There you go. Yes, indeed. How about it, man? And that Georgia 6, that's where we start today. It was uh, uh, a colossal embarrassment to the White House, to the Republican Party, a seat in uh, this the suburbs of Atlanta, Republican district, Tom Price, now who's the HHS secretary, won it by 23 points last November. Uh, Donald Trump carrying it. I guess it was Trump who won it by 23 points, and Price won it by even more than that. Uh, this is Newt Gingrich's old seat. 
And here's this uh, 30-year-old kid, John Ossoff, <laughs> hardly a kid, but a young man uh, who grew up in the district, by the way, now lives, which Donald Trump made a big deal of, tried to make a big deal of yesterday. He lives just outside the district now with his girlfriend uh, at Emory University. They've been going together for living together for 12 years. Uh, by the way, not a crazy, uncommon thing in Congress. No, no. I mean, and, they're going to make a big deal out of this, but there are plenty of Republicans who have the same problem. Uh, news. Breaking news to the White House. You do not have to live in the your con- the congressional district you represent you, or that you run for. I learned that a long, long time ago in California because this became an issue in a couple of races, and people said, so what? Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, he grew up in the district. He lives right down the street. Now, with his girlfriend. But the point is, he needed 51%. He got 48%, uh, easily putting him in the runoff in June. And the top Republican, Karen Handel, got just 20%. But this is um, really the first test. There was a special election in Kansas where Democrats didn't even compete. It's a good candidate out there. Uh, but as we've discussed, the Democratic Party made a colossal mistake, I believe, in not putting resources into that race in Kansas. I think they could have won that race in Kansas. Uh, I agree with Bernie Sanders that the DNC missed an opportunity there. So did the DCCC. But in Georgia, Democrats did uh, definitely a challenge there, make a serious challenge with John Ossoff. He was the only Democratic candidate in all for all practical purposes. Republicans had 11 uh, and again, this was the first test of how popular is Donald Trump? What coattails does Donald Trump have? What do people think about the Trump agenda? What do Republicans, moderate Republicans, think about the Trump agenda? And bad news for Republicans, where uh, Ossoff got 48% compared to the top Republican who got only 20% of the vote, Karen Handel, former Secretary of State, I believe, and Georgia. At any rate, this is not the first time we've heard of Karen Handel. You may remember a couple of years ago, the great Susan Komen Race for the Cure for uh, Raise Money for Breast Cancer was was one of the most popular marches, uh, not a protest march, a support march for Raise Money for Fight Against Breast Cancer, most popular in the country ever. And it all blew up a couple of years ago when uh, the Komen Komen, uh, Foundation said they weren't going to give any money to Planned Parenthood, even though Planned Parenthood does all these mammograms and all this work on breast cancer, uh, that they weren't going to give any money to Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood also does, in some of their clinics, uh, perform abortions. Uh, the woman and the whole, the Common Foundation basically fell apart over that. Uh, and the woman who instigated it, who started it, who blew the whole thing up was Karen Handel from Georgia. So she's back with a vengeance. This is so important. This is a race we can win. This is a colossally important message to send to the world, uh, to Democrats, Republicans across the country, and to Donald Trump and to Republicans in Congress. Your agenda ain't working. We don't want it. We don't like what we've seen in the first 90 days. Uh, and uh, we're not going to elect more Republicans who are going to give Donald Trump any more support in Congress. So now it all, we still got that special race out of Montana. We'll talk about that a little bit later with Alex Seitzwald from MSNBC. But for now, the whole focus is on Georgia's six. Uh, let's go Atlanta. And by the way, Donald Trump putting himself on the line. Yeah. I mean, he made uh, 
He tweeted about it beforehand. He made robocalls. He tweeted about it yesterday saying, I just learned he doesn't even live in the district. Oh, this is terrible. Yeah. I mean, he put he put himself all out on this race and he did not win it. And, and, and Democrats really tried to frame this as a vote on Trump, right? Yeah. Like less than 100 days into this term of his. Uh, they frame this as a, as a referendum on Trump. And if you don't think that was the case, like you said, just look at the effort that Trump himself put into this. Right. Right? It clearly is on his radar. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It was big time on his radar. He wanted this. He want, He wants any win. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so far, the only win of any kind that he's had is Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, which, again, he didn't do a hell of a lot to get. He had the votes in the Senate and the Federalist Society gave him the list of people among whom he could nominate. Uh, in Georgia last night, it was John Ossoff saying, if we don't win tonight, we're going to win in June. We will be ready to fight on and win in June if it is necessary. Great guy, great candidate, great presence, uh, and I think a real rising star. He clearly, as he told his supporters last night, uh, they said it couldn't be done. We fooled them. We have defied the odds. <laughs> we have shattered expectations. Uh, and for Karen Handel, she's saying, well, you know, we uh, we Republicans, we did ourselves proud. What I am proud of on the Republican side is that it was it's been a competitive campaign. No coronation, which is what occurred on the Democrat side. <laughs> Oh, pathetic, pathetic. Anyhow, but you know, I mean, look, this is going to be a real tough. This is a tough one to win because it, it, let's not let's not kid ourselves. This is not automatic. We can win this seat. We should win this seat. But it's a Republican district with a long tradition of electing Republicans. I don't know when the last time they ever had a Democrat in that district, and you know that all eleven of those Democrats are going to line up now. Uh, behind Karen Handel, all, Republicans rather, are going to line up behind Karen Handel. They'll all unite behind her. And you also know that there will be an unlimited amount of money. There'll be a Niagara Falls of special interest cash from the Koch brothers and everybody else into that district. Uh, and Donald Trump will, will, will himself, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes down there to you appear know- for Karen Handel. So it's going to be a, it's still going to be a challenge for John Ossoff, but uh, certainly um, momentum, momentum on his side. And this also highlights a, a big problem for as, as long <laughs> as we've spent since the election talking about how Democrats are in disarray, which is fair. Democrats certainly have some issues they got to get sorted out, but yeah, th- it's right. certainly not a perfect world for Republicans either. Mm-hmm. I mean, they mm-hmm. had a really, really hard time trying to figure out how to run with this president who is. One of the most unpopular presidents we've ever seen, at least in the first hundred days. Yeah. So Republicans have plenty of problems on their own, and those are going to show themselves more and more the farther down the line we get. Right. And this is going to be this is going to be a key test for uh, what Republicans do, how they run, how close they get to Donald Trump in 2018. (coughs) Yeah. Depending on how uh, Georgia six goes. Uh, And meanwhile, on another front, North Korea. Remember. All the tough talk. Remember, we're going to, uh, we're going to, Mike Pence says, they better not test us. They better not because we are ready. 
as a show of strength to send a message about how strong we are and how determined we are, we are sending, Donald Trump called it, an entire armada into uh, the waters off North Korea to show them that they we're there, we're poised, we're ready to go. Here's what he said. On April 12th, he told Fox News, quote, We are sending an armada, very powerful. We have submarines, very powerful, <laughs> far more powerful than the aircraft carrier. That's what he told Fox News on April 12th. And the aircraft carrier was the USS Carl Vinson, which the White House announced. I was there at the briefing when Sean Spicer said this, this fleet leaving Singapore, heading up to North Korea, just as a show of strength. Oops. <laughs> the, the Associated Press reported yesterday they caught up with it. They've been searching it. They caught up with the USS Vincent. It was 3,500 miles away. The pictures taken and released by the Pentagon and by the White House of the Vincent, surrounded by all those Navy ships, was actually heading south, not north or east, not west or whatever. It was heading in the opposite direction from North Korea. It was heading to Indonesia. When they caught up with it, it was 3,500 miles away. It's such a monumental embarrassment. So with all this tough talk, right, they're doing just the opposite of what they said. Did they think they wouldn't be caught or what? And now, allegedly, it has turned around and is heading up toward uh, North Korea. Uh, a little bit too late to make the point, right? I also wonder why it's doing that now. It's yeah, almost like I, they're trying to cover up for the screw up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just so. Guys, I think we. Yeah, we, they sent a message, right? The message is we don't know what the hell we're we doing. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we, we have no what idea what we're doing. <laughs> Do, listen, the Don message is cut and run. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Donald Trump oh, doesn't God. know who Kim Jong un is. He forgot Paul Ryan's name yesterday. He forgets I which countries we for, he forgets which countries we've bombed, and he lost an aircraft carrier. Yeah, right. <laughs> pretty pretty good run so far. Full stop. <laughs> like it really, it really, what are we doing? It really is the gang that can't shoot straight at any rate. Uh, well, it'll be fun today to see how Sean Spicer <laughs> explains explains that one. How Melissa McCarthy explains that one. I don't know the Easter. How the Easter Bunny <laughs> explains that. One. Uh, yes. um. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that uh, the the Donald was out in. Uh, Paul, Paul Ryan's district, actually, yesterday. Mm. Right, couldn't remember his name. Uh, who represents this district again? <sighs> but uh, talking about at, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Snap-on Tools, great company, by the way. Been around a long time. My father and his gas station used to have Snap-on Tools. There you go. Uh, and he's talking about, out there, America first. With this action, we are sending a powerful signal to the world we're going to defend our workers, protect our jobs, and finally put America first. And then again, he talks about, uh, uh, you know, this is such a thing, how much he has accomplished. He can't even wait till 100 days. He has accomplished more in 90 days than any president in history. No administration has accomplished more in the first 90 days that includes on military, on the border, on trade, on regulation, on law enforcement. We love our law enforcement. 
and on government reform. That is such BS. I mean, that uh, is such. Uh, you know, there's there the there's we live in t- parallel a parallel universe. He does, I should say, right? There's the real world, and then there's this Donald Trump world. Uh, I don't know whether he really believes all that crap. He could be like Alex Jones. He just says it. Maybe it's just an actor. I don't know. I think he is. But at any rate, uh, and the next thing he's going to brag about is tax reform, right? He has said, we're going to get this monumental tax reform done, which God knows we need, but we haven't done anything about it since 1986 for a very good reason, because there are too many lobbyists in Washington who will prevent it happening. At any rate, Donald Trump now says he's going to get it done maybe by August or certainly by the end of the year, right? Not going to happen. And there's a good reason why it's not going to happen, because we all filed our tax returns yesterday. We don't buy yesterday, maybe some before, but we don't know whether Donald Trump filed his or not. We do not know that. And we also don't know anything about how much he might have paid or didn't pay. And Democrats in Congress, I think, have taken a very, very strong stand and a very correct stand on this. And what their message is, Mr. President, our message is very simple. No tax returns, no tax reform. Simple as that. Because, and you know what? This is something I think the American people can understand. And it's a, it's a very, very basic premise. You release your tax returns, we'll give you tax, re- or we'll talk about tax reform. You don't release them, we're not going to talk about tax reform. Because you don't know how any proposal or any change might help Donald Trump until you know what's in his tax returns. The Republicans could be proposing stuff that's going to give Donald Trump a huge windfall uh, in his taxes. How do you know that if you haven't seen his tax returns? How do you know what he's really worth? How do you know whom he owes money to? How do you know where his revenue is coming from? We don't know. You know, that one year that leaked out through the New York Times, we found out he paid $38 million on $152 million in revenue, allegedly. But it was only kind of one page, remember, one or two pages. Didn't tell the whole story. Uh, And Donald Trump, who has promised and then not promised and then promised again to release his tax returns, hasn't done so. He will not. And Democrats are saying, until you do, uh, there will be no tax reform. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, on the Today Show yesterday morning, making this case that just because he hasn't released them yet doesn't mean this issue should go away. The issue is not over. He promised during the campaign that he would reveal his taxes. In fact, how many clips have you got here? He would reveal them after this. He would reveal them after that. Oh, then he'd put it off. Do you think he he ever will? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I think that people are going to keep demanding it, and they're going to keep demanding it and making their voices heard on this. You know, and I think she's right about that. I think the White House is dead wrong. I think Republicans in Congress are dead wrong. And by the way, just as an aside, there are more and more Republican members of Congress who have said Donald Trump should release his tax returns, just like every other presidential candidate or president before him has done so, Republican and Democrat. But I think they're wrong, the White House and the leadership, Republican leadership in the Congress, when they say that Americans don't care about Donald Trump's tax returns. Uh, I think they do. I think they do because they they see it's um, lack of transparency, and by keeping them secret, where George Bush and Ronald Reagan and all the all the rest have released their tax returns, by keeping them secret, that he's got something to hide. 
I'll tell you, who may have something to hide, but she is not hiding it very well, and that's Ivanka Trump yeah. and her conflicts Man. of interest. Oh, my God. I don't know if they've heard the latest. First of all, since her daddy got elected, right, she has not stopped pumping her business all around the world, her fashion line. Yes, she now has a job at the White House. Yes, she said she has put her entire business in trust, but she has not given up financial control of her business. She is the one responsible for any decisions about the expansion of her business around the world, and she is at it full-time boogie. It is a huge, blatant conflict of interest. Since uh, she has, since her father was elected, she has gotten new trademarks to expand her fashion line uh, in Japan, for just in February in Japan, for footwear, for handbags, and a lot of other stuff. Uh, in Canada, in the Philippines, and in China, and in fact, Associated Press reported yesterday that she got the deal in China was announced and approved the day she's having dinner with the president of China at Mar-a-Lago and her daddy. Tell me that's a big coincidence. So this is what President Xi brings as a present to the Trump family. Hey, baby, you know, you're okay in China now. You can expand your fashion line in China. Uh, at the present time, <coughs> pardon me, she has trademark applications waiting. It, all, all those have already been approved, right? Japan, J Canada, Philippines, China, and others. She has applications waiting in 10 countries, Kuwait, Qatar, Panama, including Kuwait, Qatar, Panama, uh, and Brazil. And get this, between 2016 and 2017, the Ivanka Trump fashion line has soared, increase in sales, double, mm -mm, 771%. Oh, my God. One year, uh, less than a year. Oh, my God. Since he's elected. Her fashion line has soared 771%. So no doubt, you know, she's a smart businesswoman. No doubt she's making a ton and ton of money. She's smart. She knows what she's doing. She looks, you know, she certainly has got the genes, right? Brilliant self-promoter. And I guess these are pretty good products. I don't know. I, you know, I've never seen an Ivanka Trump shoe or I'm handbag. not convinced. I'm not convinced. But anyhow, she's got, and she's got the name. And she, like just like he's putting his name on buildings around the world, she's putting her name, she's put her name on this fashion line around the world. She's making a huge amount of money. Very successful. This one. The problem is you can't have it both ways. You can't be doing that. The ethics and, and, and having a government job at the same time in the White House and be a senior advisor to the President of the United States. And the ethics laws we've learned, the conflict of interest laws, for some strange quirk in American law, do not apply to the President of the United States. He ought to do the right thing and avoid his own conflicts of interest, starting with his hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue. We've talked about that. But technically, legally, Donald Trump is exempt. Ivanka Trump is not. And so this, this is the makings of a lawsuit. There are already a couple of underway. But 
between her fashion line and her own interest in that hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, She is a walking conflict of interest, a walking illegality uh, in in the Trump White House. And I just hope that uh, these lawsuits proceed fast and uh, they stop her in her tracks. Look, this is what we were worried about with Donald Trump. This is one of the things that we said is that he's going to use, like, best case scenario, best case scenario, he uses the office to get himself and his family even richer, right? And that's what's happening. They've turned. That's exactly what's happened. They've turned the White House into a cash cow. Yeah. Right. By the way, he has, by and he does it by going to Mar-a-Lago almost every weekend, uh, by going to his own golf course here, uh, just outside of Washington, Northern Virginia, when he stays in town, um, by going to his the only place he'll ever go out to dinner is his hotel up the street from the White House. Every time garbage goes, restaurant. Every time he goes to one of those properties, right? He is enforcing and promoting the Trump brand, of of course. Uh, every dollar spent in every one of those properties around the world, eventually, if not right now, is going to go into Donald Trump's pocket, part of it at any rate. His sons are running around the world with Secret Service protection, promoting the Trump brand. And his daughter is doing so from inside the White House. Blatant conflict of interest. All of that coming up. And by the way, the Bernie Sanders tour with Tom Perez, DNC chair, continues. Last night they were in Kentucky. Uh, we talked about this yesterday. I, you know, I believe that there's nobody better to carry that progressive banner than Bernie Sanders. Uh, and Tom Perez is very smart to be taking this nationwide tour with him this week. Bernie's saying we've got to take this progressive message and carry it everywhere. Our job is to take the progressive message out into the world, to go beyond our zone of comfort. And Bernie says, yes, and we've got to be talking to those working class Americans who left the Democratic Party and voted for Donald Trump. To start talking to working people and say, do you really believe, you who voted for Donald Trump, do you really believe that America needs tax breaks for billionaires and cuts in Medicare and Medicaid and education. Bernie Sanders on the road with Tom Paris in Kentucky last night. Now, the big question that Maxine Waters and others have been asking, is it too early to make the case for impeachment against Donald Trump? Alan Lickman has a new book out, says, no, sir, we've got it. It is the case for impeachment. We'll find out all about it after a quick break here at the Bill Press Show. Wednesday, April 19. And we had the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake that you've ever seen. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. You got it on a Wednesday, April 19, uh, The Bill Press Show, coast to coast. Great to see you. And we welcome you to the program, our discussion of the important issues of the day, brought to you today by Amalgamated Bank. Yep, you're looking for a, you're progressive and you're looking for a bank with progressive values. You found it with Amalgamated for almost a century now, they've been the 
bank of choice for progressive organizations and individuals, a lot of labor unions nationwide. So check it out at AmalgamatedBank.com. You can bank at Amalgamated anywhere you live in the country. Bank online, of course, as most of us do these days. That's AmalgamatedBank.com. Max, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, our good friend. Um, Peter, is our interview with Maxine still up? Sure on? is, yeah. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We've got it up there. Yeah, uh, about a month ago now, but a great interview. And we talked to her about this issue. And she was on MSNBC yesterday uh, and was asked about the big I word. We need to connect the dots. We need the facts in order to do the impeachment. And I'm going to work every day to try and help get those facts and to reveal them to the republic, uh, to our public, until, of course, impeachment is taking place. Well, Congressman Waters, somebody's done the job for you making the case for impeachment. (laughs) He is here in studio with us, Alan Lichtman, a book that came out just yesterday, hot off the press, as we say, The Case for Impeachment. So you can run out to your local bookstore or get online right now with Amazon and order a copy. Hello, Alan. Congratulations. Good to see you. Good to see you you again. is there a serious case? What we know, high crimes and misdemeanors, right? Is the is the test? That's the catch term in the Constitution. Exactly. Does Donald Trump meet that test? Uh, I think there are eight potential grounds for impeaching Donald Trump that I lay out in the book. We may not be ready tomorrow to draw up articles of impeachment, but I think every American has got to worry about our constitutional order, our rights and liberties and our national security under Donald Trump. And this book is a guide to the public on all of the many grounds that Donald Trump could be removed from office. And it tells the public to track this and shows when he will have crossed the line that would lead to impeachment. Because impeachment will only happen if the people demand it. Right. Uh, So there are eight, in other words, Eight different cases, right, or eight different reasons why he could be impeached. Right. Some of them are very hot. Some of them, you know, take place in the future. All right. But he hasn't maybe crossed the line yet, but he's on his way to crossing the line. And what you're saying is these are the things we ought to be looking for. Precisely. Okay. Let's start. Let's take us us through them if you can. I will. Uh, I'm not going to go in the order of the book. I'll go maybe in the order of what's most likely. Certainly what is most likely to lead to impeachment is the Russian connection. And the Russian connection runs deep. It's not just something that suddenly emerged in the campaign. I trace ties to Russia and Russia-related interests for more than a decade involving Donald Trump. And right now we know there are three investigations undergoing, and the Trump administration's response has all the hallmarks of a Nixonian cover-up, conceal, deny, lie, Mm -hmm. deflect. And then when you're caught, say, oh, it was all (laughs) innocuous in the first place. Maybe like a third-rate burglary like (laughs) the Nixon administration claimed. There's a lot of smoke, and I do think there is some fire there. And uh, if the investigations turn up something, he could be in trouble in two ways. One, if his aides were involved and he knew about it, that's a crime. That's called misprision of treason, as I explain in the book, Mm -hmm. not reporting acts of treason, or if he himself is involved, he could be the first president and really the first serious public official to be charged with treason. Uh, In terms of the Russian connection, are we talking Russian 
financial connections, or are we talking collusion with Russians to uh, influence the election? We're talking collusion, but it could be related to Russian financial connections. He certainly has had financial ties to individuals and organizations who themselves have ties to Russia, but because we've never seen the detailed tax returns, Mm -hmm. we don't know. His son, Donald Jr., back in 2008 said, we have lots of money pouring in from Russia, including our operation in Soho, the the Soho uh, venture in, in New York City. And we know that was in collaboration with a group called the Bayrock Group, a rather shady operation that had ties to Kazakhstan, a Russian puppet state, and perhaps Mm -hmm. Russia itself. And by the way, one of the principles of the Bayrock Group, and no one has talked about this, recently reemerged. His name is Felix Sater, and he was one of the three individuals who presented, according to reports in the news, a proposal to then National Security Advisor General Flynn for relieving the Russian sanctions. This guy turns up again. It's just extraordinary. And, hey, if you're out there, some young, uh, ambitious investigative reporter, look into Felix Sater. Hmm. So you're saying that there could be, could be cases where, for example, Donald Trump might owe so much, being such hawk or owe so much money (laughs) to a Russian bank, right, that he might have wanted to help the Russians in their, or, or people around him. That's right. And we know people around him, like Paul Manafort, had very close ties, as did General Flynn and uh, Carter Page. Of course, the White House says this is all fake news. And Donald Trump says that nobody around him, he nor nobody around him, had any connections with the Russians at all. Yeah, just like Richard Nixon said, of course, I've conducted a thorough investigation of the Watergate break-in, and it had nothing to do with the White House or or my campaign. It's the hallmarks of a cover-up. If all of this was purely innocent, why not reveal the contacts with the Russians in the first place? Why didn't Jared Kushner, General Flynn, uh, even the Attorney General Jeff Sessions Mm -hmm. disclose their contacts if they're so innocuous and it's all fake and there's nothing there? This really smacks of a cover-up. Now, we have to wait. We don't know what the situation is, but it could clearly lead to an impeachment if there's fire behind the smoke. And there are two, as you point out, at least two, maybe two and a quarter investigations underway. You know, the House committee, I don't know whether they'll ever get their stuff back together again. All right. Let me give you one more more twist on this. Please. It's possible that the committees or the FBI could subpoena Donald Trump's tax return, say it's relevant to our investigation. And then it's likely he'll resist. And you know what? Article 3 of the impeachment articles that the House Judiciary Committee voted against Richard Nixon was for not complying with congressional subpoenas. Oh, all right. Okay. The plot thickens here. Yes. Russian connection is the big number one. Give us another one. The other one, I think you, you, you've been discussing it quite eloquently, and that is conflicts of interest. Trump has business connections all over the world which pose major conflicts of interest. We just saw recently he obtained lucrative trademarks from China right after he kind of seemed to move away from the two-China policy. Yeah, right. Uh, The Philippine envoy to the United States is the head of Trump Tower Manila, where Trump has a deep financial stake. 
there's something, and you've talked about this, mm-hmm. called the Emoluments Clause, mm-hmm. which says if you're president, you can't take anything of value from a foreign government, their agents, or foreign-controlled entities. And by the way, it doesn't require a quid pro quo, and it doesn't specify the amount. The Emoluments Clause is absolute, mm. and the only way to enforce it is through impeachment. Plus, he has all of these domestic interests. And we know he didn't divest from his foreign interests. He didn't divest from his domestic interests. He still profits from them. And so many decisions of this administration are going to affect the profitability of his businesses as well as his, you know, his daughter's businesses, as you discussed. The, you know, tax decisions, labor decisions, (laughs) regulatory decisions. Trade. Trade. You name it, almost anything uh, could cause conflicts of interest could, that could lead to impeachment. This has never happened before because all prior presidents have followed the proper procedure and divested. Now, let me tell you my edgiest, the most far out possibility. I want to stop you. Okay. Just on this conflict of interest again, I mean, imagine all of these countries, I mean, so many, we have dealings with all these countries. You never know what issues are going to come up, right? Correct. But if, if, Ivanka Trump <laughs> has a pending trade deal with Pickett. I don't know, Nigeria, right? And Nigeria, there's something about Nigeria that the United States has to decide on. Or maybe it's Dubai, or maybe it's, you know, name it again, Guatemala. You know that she's going to take a special interest in that if she's trying to get a trademark out of it. Exactly. And that's why the Emoluments Clause is so absolute. It says you've got to divorce yourself entirely from foreign business interests because you can't have the American people guessing where the national interest leaves off and personal economic interests kick in. Yeah. And you can't make this argument that that had no influence at all on my decision, right? That's impossible to say. You can't entangle the two because you can't – once they're entangled, you can't disentangle them. It's impossible. And the framers knew that. Uh, you know, Hamilton said foreign influence is the Grecian horse, the Trojan horse of democracy, the thing that could kill and destroy the democracy in the United States. And he was pretty prescient, wasn't he? Yeah. No. I, well, yeah. I don't know whether ever, ever he ever saw that we'd be dumb enough to elect the Donald Trump. But at any rate, no. Yeah, I see that it's back on your on your uh, back of your yeah. book here, uh, just from the Federalist Papers. Impeachment, Alexander Hamilton. Impeachment will proceed from the misconduct of public men, or in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust, and they relate chiefly to immediately to the society it, itself. That's right, and yeah. it doesn't require an or indictable what? crime. Mm. It just requires a real abuse of power or a violation of the Constitution. Yeah. All right. So the juiciest. The, the edgiest one. The, one. The, oh, edgiest. Okay. The edgiest, juiciest one that no one else has discussed. Even you, even someone as brilliant as you <laughs> haven't been on this one. And that is a crime against humanity. And that sounds far out because we typically associate crimes against humanity with genocide, like yeah. what happened in Cambodia. However... The International Criminal Court has recently prioritized crimes against the environment, which would include, yes, the environment, of course, which would include climate change. Now, in 2009, Mm -hmm. a group of businessmen wrote an open letter 
to Barack Obama saying the irrefutable scientific evidence shows that unless we take strong action dealing with climate change, it could pose a catastrophic threat to our planet. Guess who signed that? Donald Trump, Eric Trump, Donald Jr., and Ivanka. Get out. True. It's in the book. You got to read the book. book. I start the The chapter with that. That's right. Imagine that. And what has changed in eight years? This, it's all gotten worse. The science is more reputable. The danger is greater. The only thing that's changed is Donald Trump's political calculations. Now he's got to be on the other side. And I think you could make a strong case that he's not only halted progress in dealing with climate change, he's thrown it into reverse. And that could be considered a crime against humanity because it threatens us all. It threatens sea level rises, floods that could wash away coastal cities, inundate island nations, fires and droughts that take lives and make portions of this globe uh, uninhabitable. And we're not signatories, of course, to the Rome Accords. We're not part of the ICC. But anyone anywhere could make a complaint because climate change affects Everything. And imagine if the International Criminal Court is investigating Donald Trump for a crime against the environment. That could happen. You know, the idea (laughs) that he could be impeached for his failure to take climate change seriously is so appealing to me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Almost beyond any other reason. This is my most original contribution, I think, because no one else... Has but ever put it in these I mean, terms? That's wow. That's in the category. Of wow. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and, just and again, when you read mind. the book, there's a whole chapter on this. Right. Uh, that that the the grounds are there. Right. The argument. It's, it hasn't it's already been tested yet, but the argument. The argument has been made. is there, and if we're dealing with the most serious threat to humanity's survival that we face in the 21st century, why would we put our heads in the sand and ignore it? It's not just a policy difference here. Right. But this would have to be the uh, International Criminal Court. would have to start it. But that could spark an impeachment investigation in the United States. And by the way, there have already been successful civil suits in foreign nations dealing with climate change that have fundamentally altered government policies. And there is a civil suit, the children's suit, here in the United States dealing with climate change. And as you know, civil suits could be the prelude to an impeachment prosecution. Now, you know what uh, people are going to say. Oh, I know. Right? Okay. (laughs) Look, we are not even 90 days into this presidency. Isn't it just a little premature to be talking impeachment? Don't you have to wait till he commits the crime before you uh, you (laughs) file charges? Yeah. I'm not saying we should file charges tomorrow. I'm laying out the grounds that I see for filing charges and the dangerous direction I see the Trump administration moving in. And by the way, I began thinking about this way back in September when I first predicted that Donald Trump was going to be elected. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And I threw out this line saying, I think he's going to be impeached. Why? He wasn't even president yet. He was still just a candidate because, as you'll see when you read the book, there is a deep and disturbing history on the part of Donald Trump of, of lies of flouting the law, of mistreating women, a lack of public service, an exploitation of others, a lack of accountability and responsibility. And when you see all that, and a good part of the book traces his history, 
you can see why this president, when he even first entered the White House, was uniquely vulnerable to impeachment. You can't just lie with impunity as president. You can't just flout the law. You can't just abuse your power. You can't declare bankruptcy. You can't walk away. You can't mm-hmm. wait for a statute of limitations to expire. Mm-hmm. You're accountable as president, every and impeachment day. is the ultimate accountability. Right. You're accountable every day, every moment, every statement. Right? And I'm, I'm not but, sure he even gets that now. Maybe he'll get it after he reads the book. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump, read anything? I mean, that's it. But, so you, you really saw that he was yeah, likely you, to be elected. We and, talked about this, by the way, on the show. We did the story about how you predicted right. Correct. that it's going to be Donald Trump. Yes. And let me tell you, you know, I, I took a lot of flack for that. You know, I teach at American University. By the way, I gave you some flack for that, too. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry about yeah, that. Right. <laughs> no one should apologize for giving me flack. You know, people were asking, where'd you get your degree from, Dr. Lickman? Mail order? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're, again, your prediction was he would win and he'd be impeachable. Right? That's right. And that's why I wrote the book. The mm-hmm. book does three things. Number one, it goes through the history of past impeachments, including Richard Nixon, who would have been impeached and removed had he not resigned. It looks at the parallels between past impeachment and the current situation, explains the process of impeachment, which most people don't really know right. much about. I want to get to, I want and to get it goes to, to the history and current situation of Donald Trump. Right. OK. So, so let's talk about the process. Uh, isn't the difficulty here, right, that impeachment has to begin in the House? Correct. And the House is controlled by Republicans. And Donald Trump is a Republican. So, Professor, it ain't never going to happen. Wrong. Let me explain (laughs) why. (laughs) First of all, it doesn't take all the Republicans. Assuming the Democrats stand firm, it only takes two dozen Republicans. Ten percent of the Republicans have to defect. In the House Judiciary Committee, a third of Republicans defected to vote articles against uh, Richard Nixon. In addition... So you you talked all... a lot about this Georgia election, right? Yeah. yeah. Every Republican is going to have to face re-election in 2018 in the House. If they see Trump becoming a liability to them, they could well turn against him, depending, of course, on what comes out in things like the Russian investigation. And remember, Trump has no relationship with Republicans in Congress, and they love Mike Pence. You know, mm-hmm. He's a down-the-line, standard-issue <laughs> conservative, not a loose cannon like Trump, and few people realize this, but if Mike Pence would become president upon impeachment and conviction of Donald Trump, he gets to pick his own vice president under the 25th Amendment, and the Republicans could have their dream team of Mike Pence and Paul Ryan. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that might Jeez. be... A- so there are scenarios Oof. in which the Republicans could move to impeachment. And the other thing, of course, is Donald Trump may be a drag on their agenda, as we've seen with the failure on, on, on health care. And they may think their agenda is much better advanced uh, by uh, Mike Pence. Well, um, isn't, isn't that an argument against you in the sense that uh, if you're talking about getting things done, aren't we better off? And you don't want Donald Trump to achieve, you don't want the Republicans to accomplish <laughs> most oh, of what Machiavellian here, most Bill. of what they <laughs> want to accomplish. Aren't we better off with a dunce like Trump than uh, a pro like Pence? In a sense, yes. In a sense, you know, <laughs> Pence might be the Democrats' worst nightmare. Right. But, but the world is too dangerous for a Donald Trump presidency. 
You know, whatever Pence may be, he's not the loose cannon that, that Donald Trump is. Plus, if the Russian investigations really do sh- show some kind of collusion that Donald Trump n- knew about, impeachment is almost inevitable. Yeah. No, because I've heard a lot of Democrats make that argument that, sure. yeah, I'd love to impeach him, but, you know, I don't want, I don't want Pence. And, and I understand that. And we get stuck and with Pence. That. And, no, and that's a legitimate argument for Democrats. But as I said, the world is too dangerous right now. You know, I mean, Pence would have made sure that the aircraft carrier was going in the right direction. I at, think. Least, at least, at he least he would have had that. Yeah. At yeah. least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so is there another scenario that I've heard discussed, which is that these investigations back to the I'm going back to the Russian connection, that these investigations show that, in fact, um, there was collusion and it worked that this was, in fact, an illegitimate election, in which case the whole damn team is out. Right. Well, is, you know, is th- that a possibility? It is. And, and it's absolutely you know, you could impeach a vice president as well. Well, and that could if happen. That happened, yeah, exactly. If, if that, well, if that happened, let's let, let me give you a scenario right. that you'll love, Bill. Okay, you will love this more than anyone else. The dem, the, there's a wave election in 2018. The Democrats retake the House, which could happen. Which could happen. They impeach both. Donald Trump and Mike Pence because it's shown that they both were colluding with the Russians. This is hypothetical. Yeah, sure. I'm not sure. making an no, accusation. No, no, no. Right. Guess who becomes president? Nancy, Nancy. Pelosi. Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no one has thought of that scenario. No. Okay, but I want to come back to my scenario. <laughs> they discover that, in fact, Donald Trump did collude his people, he and his people, with the Russians, and they threw the election. To Donald Trump, it was an illegitimate election. In that, there's no, nothing, no remedy in history. There's no, no right. Never and happened, and there's no. Re- you can't. And there's no redo remedy the for election. That. You can't. What would you, exactly? What would happen then? Could you redo the election? No, you can't redo so the election. So you would have, you have to, to go impeach. to impeachment. You'd have to. That's and this only... is why I say in the book, in a sense, Vladimir Putin has already won. He's already disrupted our democracy. He's already cast doubt on our institutions. He's already helped put in place a president who I don't think is going to seriously block Vladimir Putin's imperial ambitions. You know, for all of this talk about how U.S.-Russian relations have hit a low point and, you know, the bromance is over between Putin and Trump, Trump hasn't done a thing in a concrete way to stop or to halt or even slow down Vladimir Putin's agenda. Nothing. The pinprick attack on the airfield, that had nothing to do with anything in terms of Putin's goals. No, no. I mean, look, we had a Russian spy ship off the East Coast. Donald Trump didn't say anything about it. That's in the book, by the way. <laughs> I talk about that. Yeah. We had the Russian planes who were yes, buzzing, buzzing. buzzing uh, American warships. Donald Trump said nothing about it, right? Now, this part of the book you won't he like, still has, He is, still has <laughs> troops in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. Yes. I do have a chapter in the book. Maybe a response to the fact that Trump was gracious enough to write me a personal note congratulating me about my prediction, by the way. Oh, my God. I have it as a souvenir. Congrats. No. He wrote you. He wrote me a note saying, congrats. Good call, professor. With that, you know, distinctive Donald Trump signature on thick felt pen. And so I wrote a chapter for him called The Way Out. I said, you know, 
you're flexible. Maybe you can change mm-hmm. in a way you won't subject yourself yeah. to impeachment. And I laid out <laughs> eight ways in which uh, maybe he could avoid impeachment, including the most edgy one, which is saying, along with the White House physician, why don't you have a White House shrink? So, you know, you can have, you can have therapy <laughs> yeah. at any time. <laughs> right. And I think all presidents should have a White House shrink. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, Mental I, health is important. I, I hate to pop your bubble, but you know that Easter bunny you saw on the White House lawn the other day? Yeah, yeah. That wasn't a real Easter bunny, okay? So Donald Trump's not going to change either. But this I, is I, a I get you. great work. Congratulations. So important. The case for impeachment. Go get it. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, at least somebody's making money down at the White House. Ivanka Trump cashing in on China, turning the White House into a cash cow. What do you say, everybody? Hello, hello on a Wednesday, April 19. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. Washington, D.C. is our base, but um, that's just where we start out. We end up right alongside of you, wherever you are in this great land of ours, coast to coast on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV. Uh, and all part of the Young Turks Network. Thanks for joining us. Lots going on here. We will uh, uh, look forward to hearing from you what you think about the news of the day uh, on Twitter, at BP Show. And to cover at least the, the political side with the big results of the Georgia 6th special congressional election yesterday, Alex Seitzwald. Why, why am I having a problem with that? Now with NBC News. Hello, Alex. Good to see you. Hey, Bill. Good to Thanks see you. Thanks for coming back in. Thanks for having me. I got an, uh, an email last night with an autocorrect that said Alex Switzerland. So oh, you're, is that you're, right? you're closer than that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I can see that happening. Yeah. I yeah. kind of liked it. Uh, but both parties were really rolling a dice last night in, uh, in, in Georgia. And now it moves on to, uh, to June 20. So we'll get into that, plus the other special election coming up in Montana and uh, how things are looking kind of across the board, Bernie Sanders on his little victory tour or whatever with Tom Paris. Lots to talk about with Alex. We'll get right into it. Again, look forward to hearing from you at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories. Making news, a 19-year-old man and a 20-year-old woman were caught having sex on the beach by police. That is not the big story. The big story I was is... Say, that's- that happens. This is not news. That happens. Well, nice. here's, here's the thing. The couple was caught having sex in Palm Beach, Florida, just down the way from Mar-a-Lago. Again, a 19-year-old man and a 20-year-old woman uh, were on the beach having sex when police officers, which, by the way, there are a lot of police officers in that mm-hmm. area because, you know, 
Donald Trump is there all the time. They said that they saw on the beach a man laying down and a woman straddling him. Upon further inspection, they were, in fact, having sex on the public beach. They were not allowed to do so. They had been arrested for indecent exposure, and they are expected in court next month. Sad. Sad. Can I ask an important question? (laughs) Yes, Jamie. Were there any showers in the vicinity? I do I don't know, Jamie. I don't know. It was an ocean. Yeah. That's all you need. If you're going to have sex on the beach, make sure you have um, a shower situation if you if that's possible. Yeah, that's not a bad call there, Jamie. Can we move on from this story here? Yesterday, Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> of Facebook, they had their... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> the shower got me. Uh, he, uh, he, he addressed the media. He was talking about what Facebook is working on and what's coming next. And, Bill, you'll be happy to hear that they want to take over your mind. Facebook is developing a mind-reading technology that can allow us to communicate telepathically. They're working on a brain interface that will allow humans to communicate without opening their mouths or without typing anything. They can just send your you can send your thoughts to another person via mind bullets or whatever. You can because I really need my old high school classmates' Facebook posts beamed directly, directly into, into your head. This was the uh, Facebook's annual F8 conference where they talked about everything that they're working on. And Zuckerberg did say he is, quote, working on a mind-computer interface, wow. end quote. He was well, pretty tight-lipped about the technology. But he said, uh, these are his words, quote, direct brain interfaces that uh, interfaces that are going to eventually one day let you communicate using only your mind. Two things. One, I don't think this is anything new. I mean, I often know what I tell what people are thinking if I know them well enough without having they're having to, or they can tell what I'm thinking without having to articulate it. Sure. And the other thing is, I think Facebook has a few more important challenges than this. Like they ought to get the freaking violence off of Facebook and not allow people to post pictures of them killing other Americans. Right. Yeah. Talk about that. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. All right, here we go now on a Wednesday, April 19, uh, the Bill Press Show. Great to be with you today on uh, the news of the day, looking at you on Free Speech TV. Also on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And hello, everybody out in the Chicago area. Um, lots going on here. Most of the political buzz about the results last night of Georgia's 6th Congressional District, 11 Republicans and one Democrat. Uh, Alex Seitzwald with us from NBC News. Um, Democrats are hoping to win this one outright, which would have been, that was a real heavy lift, though, wasn't it, Alex? So how do you read the returns and what what it means? Yeah, Bill, I mean, I think this was a near miss. Heartbreakingly close, 48.6 the last time I checked around 2 a.m. before I went yeah. to bed last <laughs> night. Uh, you know, he needed 50% to avoid a runoff, and 48.6 is a huge turnout in a district that has been held by Republicans for 40 years. Uh, Tom Price, who vacated the seat to become Health and Human Services Secretary, 
just five months ago in November, he won that seat by 24 points. So mm. that's a huge improvement, but you know, not as satisfying. And, and as Donald an Trump win. won the district too. And Donald right. Trump won the district narrowly by just yeah. a point and a half. So that was why it was part of the reason why it was competitive in the first place was Trump is not popular, and he's especially not popular here. These are it's a very educated district, very wealthy district. It's not your Trump Republicans; they're more yeah. kind of establishment yeah. classic Republicans. Uh, so. You know, it's going to head to a June runoff uh, against Karen Handel. She's the former Secretary of State. She got about 20% of the vote overall. Uh, it's going to be tough because the entire Republican Party, instead of being split between 11 candidates, is going to be united now. But there's still a good chance for, for Ossoff. But they really wanted to hit that 50% threshold, uh, you know, win this thing outright last night. Right. Um, the And there's no doubt the Republican Party will pile everything in there they need to win, right? Yeah, this has been the most nationalized race of all of these special congressional elections that have happened. Uh, I believe $14 million have already <laughs> been spent, which is insane for a congressional, congressional seat. seat. Yeah, right. one seat out of, out of 435. Uh, but it's really being seen as a referendum on Donald Trump, on his political prowess, on the state of the Republican Party. They're all trying to influence the tea leaves before they get red heading into 2018. And uh, they know they're up against a really energized Democratic base, uh, you know, and that's why this this district was competitive at all. So yeah, every the, the Republicans are coming for him. They're going to spend even a ton this of money. time. They put a lot of money in, as you point out. And Donald Trump did robocalls. I think Mike Pence did robocalls or whatever, and, and uh, um, tweeted a bunch. And, and he tweeted a bunch, right? Yeah, including yesterday. What's going to be really interesting to see is now that we have a clear Democrat versus Republican. What happens? I think the more interesting thing is going to be what's going to happen on the Republican side. Karen Handel tweeted uh, at Donald Trump, thank you for the call this morning. So he has called her this morning. Not sure whether or not he's offered to campaign for her or whether or not she would take that. Yeah. But how that plays out, I think, is the really interesting thing because we have a clear D versus R now. And how is the White House going to get involved? And if you add up all the vote last night, uh, yeah. R's and D's, it's like within a couple yeah. tenths of a percentage point. I mean, it's really narrow. Uh, yeah. So, right. And I was down there uh, two weeks ago, and I went canvassing door-to-door -door with a, another Republican candidate, Judson Hill, who came in, I think, third. And uh, every single door that we knocked on, he was only hitting you know hardcore Republican doors, reliable primary voters. They were all kind of dispirited. They One woman told me she can't even watch TV anymore because there's, it's just the latest crazy thing Trump did. And one woman I talked to said she had voted Republican her entire life, but because the party was not standing up to Trump, she was thinking about voting for Ossoff or just sitting it out. So that's the kind of district that this is, and that's why Karen Handel might not want Donald well, Trump to, to say, yeah, how right. close How close is she going to campaign with Donald Trump? So she's, <laughs> she's like a lot of these other Republicans, she's done this kind of dance of, you know, basically changing the subject as quickly as possible whenever he came up. But that's not going to work anymore now that he's inserted himself with these tweets, with these robocalls, and now that it's a clear... You know, as, as you said, Peter, she cannot distance herself from Trump. Right. So really we'll so we'll saying. see that that could be, you know, I, I think even more so because there were so many complicating factors in this first mm -hmm. round uh, the, the the Trump factor is going to be even bigger. And um, Trump tweeting yesterday that John Ossoff is unqualified because he doesn't leave even live in the district. Yeah, right.
He uh, he lives about a mile south of the district. He, he's there because his girlfriend is in medical school, and he said that he'll move into the district. And he grew up there. But and he, he grew up in the district, right? Yeah. But so. you know, obviously, it's a it's a it's a nice hit. They've got they've thrown the, the kitchen but sink th- at us off here. Th- yeah, but th- that's not. By the way, that was not news yesterday, right? right. I mean, that's been an issue in the campaign, the, the whole campaign. Just about, and it's been funny. Democrats would would talk about it. They'd say to how exciting Ossoff was in his fundraising. That even this guy who doesn't live in the district can raise all this yeah, money. And then yeah. Republicans <laughs> took it over and started attacking him for right. it. But yeah, Trump tweeted last night. You know, minutes after CNN called the race, CNN was the first uh, media outlet to call it. He called it immediately. So he is paying very close attention to this. And we have a lot of reporting that you know Steve Bannon and other people in the White House are paying very close attention to this. So they're nervous about it, they're they're wary about it, and they are watching it. So they'll do anything they can do it, uh, to win this, which I would hope would uh, inspire Democrats to do everything that they can right. to win it. Um, uh, on, the, on that district thing, I just, I did wanna point out, a lot of people don't know, maybe Donald Trump doesn't know, that legally you do not have to live in the district where you're running for Congress. And there's a lot of members of Congress who, who do don't not. live in their district. Yeah. yeah. Right. This is not a new thing. Because yeah. these district uh, lines change all the time. They yeah. get redrawn. You know. I, I was very surprised to learn that when I was in, in California, when I first got involved in politics, and this would come up, and I go, oh, my God, that, that disqualifies him. But for Congress, at least, there's no such legal requirement. Yeah, I think Will Hurd uh, in, mm. doesn't live in his, uh, in his district. Uh, so this is... Th- th- there was Kansas, Georgia, and Montana. I think there may be a couple of others I want to ask you about. But yeah, but did Democrats make a mistake in not playing in Kansas? Yeah, this is the the big question. And uh, you know, they're going to say, and what they have said is, it wouldn't have made a difference. It actually might have hurt because you know, if the DCCC uh, the, the campaign arm of House Democrats or the DNC comes in and starts spending money. Republicans are going to get nervous and spend their own money, and then it's going to nationalize the race, and they're going to you know peg this guy who's trying to be that the Democrat in Kansas was running ads with him shooting an AR-15 you know rifle. He was clearly not trying to run as a typical Democrat, and so you know if if a national group comes in like that, but but I, I know you're not saying that you're you're quoting these what the DCCC and others are right. saying. But isn't that just a lame ass excuse for being asleep at the switch? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so then I yeah. So I think the the the, the stronger I mean, argument is yeah. just cutting right through it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the the they are a group that is supposed to work to elect Democrats. They yeah. have spent every day since the election talking about how they need to revive the fifty state strategy and compete in places that Democrats yeah. don't typically yeah. compete in. Yeah. 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 And so I think there's a really strong argument that they could have. Mm-hmm done something, even if it wouldn't have changed the outcome of the race, but yeah, but to yeah. show that they are competing, right. to show that they're trying, yeah. because these races are all symbolic to begin with. I sure. Mean, the, the, yeah. these, con- right. are not, these congressional elections are not going to change the makeup of the House. So you might as well make a symbolic investment in them. Okay. Uh, how about the cowboy in Montana? Yeah, Rob Quist. He's a folk singer, Bernie guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this is a tough seat. It's a statewide race, so it's the entire state of Montana. I think yeah. uh, Trump wanted about fifty-five <laughs> to forty-five, so it's it's actually you know closer than either Kansas or Georgia on that strict metric. But it's tough because statewide, uh, Bernie's going to go up there. So far, I haven't heard much about anyone else, but I think you know they're going to be dragged. The National Democrats are going to be dragged into it one way or another, and they were resisting going to Georgia. I got to say, in the first place, part of what uh-huh. got them there was the the DNC uh, chair election just happened to be in Atlanta. 
and you know yes. Tom Perez and Keith Ellis and all the other guys running, they were talking about how this great guy John Ossoff down the road who's competing, and then it kind of got all this attention on it, and they felt like oh, compelled that they had to get oh, in there. Wow. And yeah. then it, it ended up being the right call for them because down the road Ossoff became much more competitive, but at the time it didn't look like that. So yeah, I think they're going to have to kind of get off their their uh, their tuckuses and get in this. Uh, is there a, it's a family program? Yeah, Thank exactly. You. You're welcome, Mon- Montana. Uh, meaning getting into Montana. Yeah, it's yeah. Montana. Uh, are there other special congressional races this year? There's a couple. Uh, the the problem is they're all bad for Democrats. I mean, Trump literally got to choose where these would take place because he selected the members of Congress to right. be in his administration. So there's one in South Carolina, which is really tough. Uh, there's a senatorial election in Alabama to replace Jeff Sessions, which is also really tough. Uh, and there's one in Pennsylvania, not official yet, but for um, to replace the guy who's going to be Trump's drug czar. You think Pennsylvania, that should be competitive, but actually it's even worse than Kansas or oh, uh, really? Georgia. Yeah, yeah. So Georgia was really the the best shot, Montana maybe being the, the second best shot. But, uh, you know, they were just dealt a, a terrible deck of, of cards to, to play with in these special elections. And, and uh, they took a shot at Georgia. And, you know, they might still win it, but it's going to be tough. Uh, on a national front, uh, yesterday morning, uh, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts was on the Today Show. Um, she was asked the inevitable question about, 20, believe it or not, we're already talking about 2020, her response. I am running in 2018 for senator from Massachusetts. I am deeply blessed that the people of the Commonwealth sent me to Washington to fight for them. And that's what I'll keep on doing. And what's the translation there, Alex? Well, she was on the Today Show to promote a new book. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's going on a book tour all across the country, big events. They're they're sold out. She's doing a lot of media. She doesn't typically do a lot of media. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. You know, you read between the <laughs> lines there, and does she want to sell some books? Sure. Uh, is she worried about her 2018 reelection? Sure, even though she hasn't really caught a, a serious challenger yet. Mm-hmm. But if I were her... Uh, and I was looking at this political landscape, I would definitely feel like I had a really good shot at being president. And if you have any desire to be president, which, uh, you know, what's the old adage? I could show you a list of 100 senators who want to be president every morning. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think she's she's looking at it and she's been making some clear moves. The, the biggest thing to me was uh, I never thought she was running in 2016 because she had zero foreign policy experience and she didn't do anything to try to bolster that foreign policy experience. The beginning of this Congress, she gets put on the Armed Services Committee in the Senate, which looks to me like she's trying to fill that hole on her resume. She's made some staff changes. She's made some changes to her approach to the media. All of it adds up that she's at least leaving that door open uh, to running in 2020. And she is putting herself out there more, as you pointed out, I think, in terms of travel, media, and giving signs that, right, she's... She's positioning herself. And she's someone who is very cautious, does everything extremely strategically. She doesn't give a lot of interviews at all. Like she gives five to yeah. ten minutes. Yeah, I'm sure you would yeah. love to, to have her on every day if you could. Yeah. I would love to talk to her every tell day, me, too. Tell me about it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, mm. But but uh, she is going to be everywhere in these next couple of weeks as she's promoting this book tour. She's giving the keynote address to the uh, NAACP convention in Denver, or excuse me, in, in Detroit, 10,000 people. Hillary Clinton gave that mm-hmm. keynote last year. Joe Biden did it two years ago. Uh, early next month, she's giving the keynote at Emily's List, uh, another you know yeah. key key platform. So uh, yeah, I I think uh, 
you know, and, and, the, and the book, by the way, uh, Elizabeth Warren, who has never been one to hold back or to mince her words, this book that she just put out doesn't criticize Hillary Clinton in 2016, doesn't wade into any of these kind of disputes going on inside the Democratic Party. Very careful uh, book. Seems like the kind of book you would want to put out if you're going to run for president. I hate to ask this question, but I will. Um, how old is she? She is uh, 69, I believe. Uh, so that's definitely a major issue for her. And I think that, you know, also probably factoring into her decision, this would be her last chance uh, to, to run, most yeah. likely. Uh, I love her, love her. And I think she made a mistake not running in 2016. I really think, you know, she was just afraid of being, you know, going against Hillary. Bernie wasn't. Um, but she could have carried that progressive message as well uh, and chose not to. Uh, she may have missed her, missed the one chance. You know, she'll be Bernie's age then, the, the age he was when he ran, right? Right. If she were to run, if she's to run in twenty twenty. Right. Exactly. Yeah. She. Yeah. Which she. Bernie proved is not too old. Uh, it may sadly cut differently for a woman. Yeah. And, and it, for a man. And it may depend. Shouldn't, it it was. It, it was neutralized. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was not. A spring chicken, exactly. No, but it was neutralized because Donald Trump is too. But who knows if exactly if the, you know yeah. the no yeah the, the, right as good as she is. The idea that the Democratic Party needs revitalization and new faces and young blood, she doesn't provide that. Well, you look and there have been polls of 2020, which is kind of crazy. And you look at the top leaders, <laughs> and it's you know Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton. That's because the other people haven't emerged yet. Maybe. By the way, this is an interesting little uh, thing. Because yesterday, Bill, we talked about the future of the Democratic Party, whether or not Bernie Sanders should should get involved. Mm -hmm. We actually put this up to a poll on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, where we're tweeting. We got a lot of votes, um, and you'll be surprised to hear. It was very, very close. Actually, it wasn't that close. 51% said, yes, Bernie Sanders is the future of the Democratic Party. 42% say no. 7% say they are unsure. But the voting is over now. So that, that is a question, Alex. We talked about it yesterday. There, I don't know whether you saw uh, Amy Parnes did a story in The Hill uh, about whether Democrats will accept Bernie as part of this revitalization as the messenger. You yeah. Know. Uh, Tom Paris thinks so because he's out there with him traveling around the country today. Right. Uh, in fact, uh, Jamie, let's hear this uh, Bernie clip about Bernie saying we've got to carry this progressive message just like apostles all around the world. Here he is. Our job is to take the progressive message out into the world, to go beyond our zone of comfort. And he says we even have to talk to some uh, uh, the people, Democrats, who left the fold to vote for Donald Trump. To start talking to working people and say, do you really believe, you who voted for Donald Trump, do you really believe that America needs tax breaks for billionaires and cuts in Medicare and Medicaid and education. But the point of Amy's article was that there are a lot of Clintonistas who think this is wrong, that we should not be promoting Bernie because Bernie's now back to being an independent. He's not even a Democrat. And uh, um, um, Bill Clinton reportedly told Tom Perez, I don't want this to become the party of Bernie Sanders. So um, some of the Clinton people still don't accept Bernie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a lot of sour grapes, and I think that uh, 
the Clinton people don't have a lot of juice left in the party these days after what happened in uh, last year. I mean, and he did everything he could to help Hillary get elected. Yeah, anything uh, they asked him for, he was out there. And you know, I, I think your your point about uh, Tom Perez is a good one. He's the guy who was elected uh, to, to to lead the party, and who is one of the first people that he turns to to go on a big national tour across the country with him is Bernie Sanders. I'm going out with with them uh, later this week. Are you? Yeah. Good. Uh, but, uh, you know, and you look at all of these re- groups that have sprung up uh, since Donald Trump's election to kind of fight the, the re- you know, the resistance. A lot of them are led by former Sanders aides or Sanders people. Uh, this is the kind of ascendant wing of the party. And uh, I, I think it's, you know, people are going to get there one way or another. Yeah. And if it's not Bernie himself, uh, it's Bernie's message, I think, that, right. the, that the party is embracing in terms of. Yeah. And he is an independent and he and he's reiterated that much to the chagrin of a lot of Democrats who would also mm-hmm. like him to turn over his email list to the DNC, by the way. Uh, but, I, you know, it speaks to the state of the Democratic Party brand that he doesn't want to identify himself with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of people who who like Bernie, but don't want to be Democrats. And so, you know, that, I think that's part of the reason why he's saying that. Um, I wanted to ask you, I. You, you mentioned uh, Hillary and the Clinton don't have a lot of juice left. Um, I'm sure you haven't had a chance yet because I just got a copy of it yesterday. Yeah. But John Allen and Amy Parnes are out with their new book uh, about the 2016 election. The title itself is devastating, shattered. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, once again, the people who supported Hillary see all their dreams shattered, saw their dreams shattered in, in 2016. But um, you may have read some of the reviews or uh, uh, Mike Allen had some excerpts from it yesterday. It is brutal in terms of the look at the Hillary, at the Clinton campaign in twofold. Number one, and I'm just getting into it, but one is that the staff itself, there were so many layers, so many people, it was so big, and nobody was in charge, and they were all fighting against each other all the time. Yeah. Number one. Number two, that Hillary Clinton, who had been planning to run for president, like, since she left the White House with Bill Clinton, certainly since she lost to Barack Obama, was planning on running again, still goes into the 2016 campaign and has no vision, no idea why she's running or is unable to articulate why she's running for president. And it, it, it's just, again, brutal is the only word I can think of. I, I, you know, the, we'll, we'll caveat this by saying anytime you lose and you're going to do a book like this, there's going to be a lot of dirty laundry, laundry aired. And, and yeah. I love that stuff. I love it. The, the, <laughs> oh, the dirty laundry. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, it's great. Yeah. But but it's worse than I thought. I had no yeah, idea this campaign was such a disaster. I mean, you, you in hindsight, you can see it all there. And and I will totally blame myself. Include this. We were blinded by the, the poll numbers, by the everything that made it look like they were going to win. And if you win, we no matter were. how bad of a campaign you, yeah, you ran, yeah. you were, you're still a genius. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, the fact that leading into this, knowing that she's going to run or she's at least maybe going to run, she does mm-hmm. the email server, she does the speeches to Wall Street, she botches how she See, handled the email Clinton server. Foundation. The Clinton Foundation. Stuff. And then the, the looking back at that, you know, I watched, I rewatched that first interview she did uh, when she came out to talk <laughs> about the email server. And it's just unbelievable how little ground she's willing to give up. 
and on the management, you know, there's this image, this myth that regardless of how you feel about Hillary Clinton, at least she's a really super competent manager. And, you know, once she's president, she's going to run things great. And she was apparently a very good secretary of state. But she ran two very terrible campaigns from a purely management point of view. I mean, you know, doing everything against what the Harvard Business School or whatever would tell you how to run a a campaign or how to run any kind of organization. Uh, And I have like one little thought that I keep coming back to over and over again, which is yard signs. And the the Robin (laughs) Mooks of the world and all the data gurus were obsessed that yard signs are terrible. Yard signs don't vote. They've done regression analysis. But I can't tell you how many people I talked to. I'd be at a Clinton rally and people come up to me asking if I knew how to get them a yard sign or or who to talk to. And obviously I can help them. And they would, the Clinton A's would proudly tell you that they couldn't do it. Two weeks ago, I was in Michigan with Tom Perez at a panel that he was doing and they were complaining about not being able to get yard signs. It was just a disregard for the kind of grassroots activists who are supposedly powering your campaign. These, this is your base, and they just didn't, you know, care to empower them. By the way, we people will, will yell at us and scream at us anytime that we say that Hillary Clinton ran a bad campaign, right? And we're not just doing this to say like, you know, Bill was right with, by supporting Bernie, but like this was a colossal screw up on her on, on her part, and refusing to admit that Hillary Clinton made mistakes in the 2016 election is going to doom the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's just denying reality. It, it, exactly. You just have to accept the fact that she did not run a good campaign. Yeah. Just accept that. Accept that and move on. You might love Hillary Clinton. You might love yep. what she did. She might love what she stands for. She did a lot of great things as a senator, secretary of state, all that stuff. She ran a bad campaign. Full stop. Yeah, it's it's like the uh, the Star Wars episode one of political campaigns. You know, the Phantom. You might love Star Wars, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they had everything going for them: all the money, all the technical know-how. Anybody in the world who you want to call and get on the phone to help you out, and they blew it. Yeah, uh, and they also talk about like Robbie Mook, who you know had a great reputation, ran Terry McAuliffe's campaign, and. Uh, and that, but he was really fixed. Back to your point on lawn, lawn, lawn signs, right? He's fixed on the analytics, sort of, right? And um, and sort of lost track of the basic working class blue collar Americans who make up the Democratic Party. And uh, and after losing, also points out that after losing so badly to Bernie in New Hampshire, that they never regeared to reach out to white Democratic voters. Or, or yeah, or Michigan. I was in uh, yeah, and that that played out in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Which was it? Which and and again, in hindsight, you know, I should have seen it at the time, and I didn't. I was at the election night party on the night of the Michigan primary. They went into it sure that they were going to win it. All the polls had them yeah. ahead, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, they they gave us guidance that it, that they were going to win, and this was what was going to happen. And then ninety minutes later, they come out and they change everything, and they lost, and they were completely caught off guard and they end up losing by a huge margin uh, in the end. And that should have been a sign to them that their numbers were wrong and that there was a problem with these kinds of voters. But I, they 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 either didn't see it, they chose not to see it. And I think there was kind of a fatalism where they assumed like we're never going to win these people over. We just got to, you know, get our people to the polls and we'll be OK. Yeah. Uh, you know, to your point in the introduction to a book, Amy and John point out that they started these interviews working on this book. I didn't realize this all during the campaign. But they were talking to people and a lot of insiders in the Clinton operation. Most of their interviews are with people who are inside the bubble, right? And they kept getting all this negative stuff from them about how badly things were going, you know. But they didn't kind of believe it. Yeah. And, but the, the rules were 
We'll talk to you, but it's all off the record. We will report nothing of what you tell us until after the election. And so they're hearing this in their interviews, but what they're seeing is what all of us were seeing. The polls are up. You know, the confidence is up. Donald Trump is so bad. How can he po- – he could never possibly win. Right. And so they just sort of like ignored what they were being told. And then after the election, they, they said, holy – you know what? <laughs> we should have seen. We, yeah, they were telling us the truth. We didn't realize how bad, or they didn't believe it at the yeah, time. Yeah. So it all came together afterwards. But uh, Alex here with us as a friend of Bill for the entire hour. We're well now on the media side. Lots to talk about, including maybe Bill O'Reilly ought to just stay in Italy. I don't know. We'll find out from Hadas Gold uh, from Politico, media reporter. What's going on? She joins us next. No administration has accomplished more in the first 90 days. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go now on a Wednesday, Wednesday, April 19, uh, the Bill Press Show. We're around the table here in Washington, D.C. in our studio on Capitol Hill, and we welcome you to the gang. Uh, thank you for joining us. Looking at you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, and of course on Free Speech, on Direct, uh, Free Speech TV, on Direct, part of Direct TV, and um, out in Chicago, joining you on WCPT. Don't forget our podcast as well. Go to iTunes or thebillpressshow.com, and uh, you can listen to the entire show in our podcast. Thanks this morning to the American Federation of Teachers, the good members of the AFT, Teachers of America, under President Randy Weingarten, making a difference in our classrooms every single day during the Lord's work. We thank them for their support of the program. Alex uh, Seitzwald here with us from NBC News the entire hour. Uh, as a friend of Bill, and uh, to talk about media and what's happening in that great world. Nobody covers it better than Hadass Gold Ooh. from Politico. Uh, if she looks, screw it uh, up now. Man, a- <laughs> if she looks a little happier and a little brighter today, it's because she's recently married since we saw her last. Congratulations. 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 Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Are you still Mrs. Hadass Gold, or do you have a new name now? I am still Mrs. Hadass Gold professionally. So. Professionally, okay. Yes. Well, good. Which my now husband likes to just call me Mrs. Gold all the time, which is hilarious <laughs> because it just makes me think of my mother. And then, oh, <laughs> <laughs> good to see you. So, um, news this morning on the front page of the New York Times that the Murdoch family is giving serious consideration to maybe dumping Mr. O'Reilly. Yes, and I would argue that actually, while Everyone loves the New York Times, and they do a very great reporting. What is more notable is that Murdoch's Wall Street Journal reported this uh, mm. late last night, that the, that Fox was close to cutting ties. Now, one would have mm. to assume that the, a story such as that in the Wall Street Journal um, probably wouldn't get past editors unless they knew for sure that mm. that was the case. And they likely have direct lines, obviously, to all the executives who would know what's going on. Now, News Corp, which owns, which is in charge of the journal, and 21st Century Fox, which is in charge of Fox News, are two separate companies now. Mm-hmm. However, there's still a lot of 
you know, mm-hmm. cross pollination there. Uh, so I do that when that dropped late last night. The yesterday was sort of a drip, drip, drip of stories coming out, starting with the uh, the Fox watcher Gabe Sherman, who reported that the Murdochs were leaning towards this decision. Um, then CNN, and then New York Times, and uh, and but I everybody was really kind of took a moment when the Journal posted this as well. And wasn't there yet one more woman to come forward yesterday? So there are, I believe there are two women since the New York Times expose first went up who have called in or, or alleged harassment or inappropriate behavior. Uh, there is apparently one more woman, this uh, lawyer Lisa Bloom, who is representing Wendy Walsh, um, this other uh, employee from Fox News, and apparently this third person. Um, and, and I believe most of them have utilized the Fox News hotline to call in harassment allegations because post ails they instituted this mm-hmm. uh, anonymous tip line that you could call things in. It's interesting to me, Wendy Walsh seems to be having such an impact. Um, is it because she's not asking for any money? She just says she well, wants to get her story out there? Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, most of the ones who have come forward since the Times, the Times story are not asking for money. Um, most of them, <laughs> including the one who alleged that Bill O'Reilly called her hot chocolate, um, and other things are not asking for money. They just, as as their lawyer uh, Bloom says, that they just want the story out and they want changes to be made. Um, so I think that is notable. Or you could see it from the other side and and say they don't have a strong enough case to win a settlement or to win a lawsuit or something like that. Um, which is certainly, I mean, Bill O'Reilly's lawyer last night was was is submitting some really interesting statements. Uh, which a lot of people were like, oh, these sound like something that would come out of the White House. Well, this lawyer also worked for Trump for a very long time and represented him in a lot of these defamation cases. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they share something there. Um, and he has, he has the lawyer said that, that there's a lot of evidence that this is a uh, politically motivated smear campaign and that they will be releasing that evidence soon. Whether that evidence will be released before uh, 21st Century Fox makes their decision, we don't know. Is the bottom line the bottom line, or is it the reputation of Fox? It's more the advertisers, I would argue. I mean, for one thing— That's what I meant by the bottom line, Yeah. If they're losing money, they'll dump them, but if they're not, they won't? I mean, listen, it's it's a for-profit business, and Bill O'Reilly is their highest-rated show, and is, I believe, the highest-rated show like on all of cable news. I think news. that's right. Has and, been for a long time. And yeah, he's he is a powerhouse, um, and I'm sure there will be some negative consequences if he does go. However, in the past few weeks, advertisers have been fleeing his show, where if you watch Bill O'Reilly, uh, on it's a primetime 8 p.m. show, and I've seen ad blocks as short as one or two ads, mm. which... For people in TV, that's very short. It's like a minute long of ads. Yeah. Um, people who have cataloged it say that at least 11 companies have publicly announced that they are pulling out their ads from Bill O'Reilly's show. And yes, you can get high ratings, but if you don't have the ads to back it up, then they just call it empty calories in, in TV world, where you just won't get no ad. If no advertisers will advertise on your show, then what does your show bring uh, to the network if you can't bring in any money? Uh, <clears throat> how does this, you know, they've, they've lost a couple of their big stars. Uh, so how much is that weighing in on what they're they're considering here? I mean, like, they, you know, Megyn Kelly, Greta, others, are, and who's coming up to fill those spots? Well, listen, there's always going to be somebody to take your spot if you leave <laughs> in TV. Um, 
it is notable the changes that have happened at. Fox I worry News about that every day. <laughs> <laughs> there, it's there's obviously been a ton of changes in the past year, uh, and it's it's crazy to have thought a year ago that Roger Ailes and Megyn Kelly and Greta Van Susteren and potentially Bill O'Reilly would be gone from Fox News and yeah. Donald Trump would be president. Like, <laughs> tell that to somebody in you know summer of 2015, and they would have been amazed. Uh, but the The thing is, Fox News is such a brand into itself. And yes, these personalities matter, but it's not clear how much they really do matter. Uh, There's a joke amongst TV people that you could put like a ham sandwich on a stage and just put put it on Fox News and it would get better ratings. No offense than MSNBC or CNN. Uh, And... (laughs) Uh, And... There is, that is true to uh, to an extent. Now we look at Tucker Carlson. Everybody thought Megyn Kelly was going to be the new face of Fox News. She was going to change the network entirely. She leaves. Everybody said, "Oh my gosh, what's going to happen?" Tucker Carlson takes her place and gets better ratings than her. So Tucker Carlson is the ham sandwich. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice turnaround. Yeah, nice. yeah. So there is. Wait till I tell him. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is like a, a certain Im, uh, insurance immunity that they have from certain persons. However, Bill O'Reilly is one of the originals yeah. of yeah. Fox News. No. And it, this is a little different than Megyn Kelly. It, 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 I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Everything you say at the same time, it's just almost unimaginable the hole that Bill O'Reilly would leave in cable news, particularly on, on, on Fox. Right. And I'm sure that some of his viewers would, would leave. I'm sure some of his viewers would be very angry, would leave Fox. Um, where they would go, Elsewhere, I don't know. Yeah, um, they're not going to go to Rachel. You know. No, I mean, but maybe, maybe they would well, finally <laughs> turn to as a friend. I just turn to the Blaze, or maybe they would. I don't know. Start watching. Uh, there's so many now internet shows that you know everything from Alex Jones to um, just conservative commentators online that maybe they would turn to. I don't know because a lot of Bill O'Reilly's viewers are super old yeah. uh, and have been with him for a very long time. You know, one of the things that I don't think is talked about enough in this is obviously Bill O'Reilly is a has a lot of problems here, but Fox News has enabled this. They have allowed this to happen. They have settled these uh, allegate or these harassment allegations, and so for now they found religion about this, which I guess at the end of the day is good. Well, I mean, would they have found religion about it without a New York Times expose? That's what I was going to say. No. I, I don't think that they would have found it without advertisers leaving and people really shining a light the, on it. The fact that these things, two of them had happened since Roger Ailes left, I thought was yeah. the most the devastating piece. Right, but like, this is who Times Fox Revelation. News is. Yeah. Like, this is, this is who they are. Bill O'Reilly is a bad person for doing it, but Fox News enabled this behavior. I mean, a lot of people would argue that a lot of there's a lot of dirty laundry in television that yeah. people don't see. Um, I've definitely heard from Fox News people that, yes, they have problems, but look elsewhere as well. And they just think that Fox News has a big target on them on their backs. Um, <clears throat> and we have seen allegations pop up in other networks as well over the years. Um, I do think that the, I don't I do think that Fox News still has not completely left the Ailes era. Ailes is gone, but he himself like but his his influence on the network that he built without a doubt, is still there. Um, and I'm not saying that they're engaging in all the same practices, but no. right. uh, they're, they're, he and a few of his executives have left, right? But otherwise, no, it's not like they completely cleaned house with all of their top people. His The, the top lieutenants under Ailes, Bill Shine and Jack Abernathy, are, are now co-presidents. Um, and I'm not saying that they are engaging in the behavior that Roger Ailes engaged in, but 
yes, you can have some sort of culture change when the top boss leaves, but I mean, my newspaper has gone through several editors mm-hmm. and chiefs, and it's not like the entire DNA of Politico changed when a new editor in chief comes in. Right. And, and this talk about the other networks, I mean, I think that's just uh, loose talk on their part with no evidence behind it. I'm, I, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I mean, I've worked at CNN and I've worked at M- M- MSNBC, uh, and I'm sure they're not they're not perfect, and the people there are not perfect. But you don't have the corporate culture uh, that <clears throat> of was, settling so lawsuits of quietly, settling lawsuit yeah. after lawsuit after lawsuit, right? Or right. the allegations that have come forth from Fox News, and then you look at the kind of I'm sorry, the women that they hire, they all look the same. I mean, Roger Ailes was looking for a certain model type, right? And that's who he put on the air, and uh, so that whole culture, I think, has has caught up with him. Uh, but I want to ask you about Tucker because it's interesting, you know. Uh, and the New Yorker profile of Tucker and I, you know, you know, I did crossfire with Tucker mm-hmm. and he and I are good friends. But that profile pointed out that it was he was sort of like the last person one would expect to become the new shining star of Fox because Tucker's been around for a while. We did crossfire together. <laughs> right. We did the spin room. He Although he looks so young, he does. Right? <laughs> he, people and don't he's realize not that old. He's yeah. forty six, forty seven, or whatever. Yeah. But but he he'd had three or four shows and. Then he was with the Daily Caller, and suddenly Fox brings him. Then he was doing, became a commentator on Fox, right? Mm-hmm. So Greta leaves. They put Tucker in. Does a great job. Megyn Kelly leaves. They put Tucker in. He surpasses her in the ratings, which seemed to be impossible, right? right? She was even doing better than O'Reilly at one time. Now, if O'Reilly leaves, yeah. Tucker moves up again, so, so the another talk, notch. So the talk that I've heard is that Tucker mm-hmm. would potentially go to 8 p.m. to O'Reilly's spot. Mm. Yeah. Hannity would go to nine, and that they would test out new shows at ten. Maybe Dana Perino will get a show. Um, she was the first one tapped to be O'Reilly's substitute mm-hmm. when he left on vacation, um, yeah. and I don't mm-hmm. think that they pick these substitutes willy nilly. Um, and I could definitely see her. I mean, if they're trying to soften mm-hmm. the image, do the soccer mom reach out to the soccer moms and whatnot? Dana Perino's a great option and kind of fills that Megan Kelly void where I had a lot of friends who were in their, you know, mid to early 20s who would tune in to Fox News primetime to watch Megyn Kelly. And that's a demographic that I'm a lot of advertisers love. Would Dana Perino potentially take that spot? Or they could go with uh, one of the more regular O'Reilly replacements like Eric Bowling or Jesse Waters or... Ugh. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, that, it's just kind of that that'll be a big indication of the direction they see themselves going in. If we see them choosing a Jesse Waters type, then they want to keep their lineup pretty much the way it is. Um, mm-hmm. If we see them going into a Dana Perino type, then there's a potential softening of lineup a little right. bit with the, the sons, the boys, the Murdoch boys potentially having a bit more influence. Two media giants here with us. Hadas uh, Gold from Politico, <laughs> Politico.com, Alex Seitzwald from NBC, NBCnews.com. You mentioned Alex Jones earlier as maybe a potential Fox News. After this <laughs> lawsuit, wow. after this child yeah, custody this battle, is the crazy. And, and Alex Jones's lawyers say, don't believe a word he says. It's all made up. He's just, he's just a big actor. Doesn't yeah. believe any of it. Um, this this is a really interesting case. Alex Jones is the conspiracy commentator yeah. host who claims to be best friends with Donald Trump. Donald Trump has clearly given him shout-outs a few times. He did a um, show. Yes, yeah. he, he and he did a show. Uh, Alex Jones says that they are in regular contact. Um, but Alex Jones is in a custody, a bitter custody battle with his ex-wife uh, over their three children in Texas, which is getting a lot of media attention, as you said, because the lawyer for Alex Jones said that, we, that, the, that the court shouldn't take... Um, Alex's commentary on his show or what he says 
as the host of Infowars because that's just performance art and and it's not he's playing a character he's, he's playing a character it's not real like Colbert yeah <laughs> yeah I was just like yes. um, his his ex-wife and her lawyers are, are trying to allege that no this is actually who he is um, this is what he's like in private with their children I mean he said Sandy Hook was fake right right you but know. this is a really interesting I would argue it's a it's a fascinating case because where does the line draw between like endangering your children by but some people would say endangering your children by indoctrinating them to thinking that Sandy Hook was fake versus uh, like versus just a political belief. Mm. Now, is it dangerous if you tell your child that the moon landing was faked? Is that the same as saying that that Sandy Hook was faked? Because that, there's a difference between telling your children that and actually physically being abusive or something like that. And so this is a really fascinating case, not only because of the personality of Alex Jones and what does he actually believe, um, because after his lawyer said that, he did a, a video, which actually potentially was violating his gag order, telling his audience, like, don't believe what the lawyer said, like, I 100% believe this. Uh, and Jesus. But then they took it down because it potentially violated the gag order. At least that's what we, I mean, why else would it have been taken and, down? And the, the, the idea that I was just trying to think of some of the other allegations that three million people voted illegally that Donald Trump didn't that come from Alex Jones too? yeah I mean it's it's just countless stuff but I think they're also trying to in addition to all the conspiracy stuff they're trying to just portray him as you know unhinged he's, he's been on air yeah. drunk a bunch of times he takes yeah. his shirt off in front of people and just mm-hmm. saying that he's not a stable person to be raising I believe that. children. <laughs> I believe that. Well, in an interview he did, I think, with The Guardian, I forget which, it was like an English newspaper. They interviewed him and they followed him around and then it just got bizarre at the end because they said that he sat down in a conference room at his offices to eat a plate of barbecue, but before he did that, he just took his shirt off and just started like grunting and stuffing his face. To yeah. be fair, if you're going to eat a big plate of barbecue, it would not be a terrible idea to take your shirt off. He was like, he was asked about like basic facts about his kids, and he didn't know them. Right. And they talked about this in the courtroom, and he was like, "Well, I don't remember because I had a big bowl of chili for lunch." That was a good Alex. And that's thank you. <laughs> we are brothers from another mother. He, but that's like he just he's deranged. He's completely deranged. I'm curious how much. It has like shades of the Hulk Hogan thing, right? Where he oh, was man. he was trying to say like I was just playing or I wasn't playing a persona. Or, uh, you know, uh, it was Terry Borales, whatever his real yeah, name yeah. is, versus the the persona I play. Is there is that is there any commonalities there? Um, I guess in terms of bigger than life personalities, compl- uh, alleging that they have two characters, but otherwise, it, 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 I don't know. It's are you talking about the Gawker case? Or yeah, the... where, where he said, mm-hmm. you know, this this caused irreparable harm to my personal life because uh, I, I wasn't being a public figure when I was right. Um, sex. I I think that it's a little bit different uh, because Hulk Hogan wasn't uh, spreading conspiracy theories, and it also wasn't a custody battle. Yeah. Um, this is like obviously I I've actually yeah, seen some people argue that we shouldn't be covering this because. It involves children, and it involves uh, like a personal custody battle. It's kind of unseemly how it's yeah. it's played out with a jury and yeah. with, with reporters in the courtroom. And I'm yeah, I, I don't know. It. I yeah, I am surprised you would think a custody battle with, with involving children would somehow be closed off. And yeah. maybe yeah. maybe yeah. they will. Are maybe they will at some point close it off because they'll argue this is getting too much of a circus. Um, but when you have a public personality like this, who and I really right. don't think that if the. Mm-mm. 
if the uh, if the <laughs> if the lawyer for Alex Jones had not said, "Don't listen to what he says on his show. Mm. It's it's an act." I don't think there would have been as much okay. attention to it. I want to ask you both the most important question of the moment here in Washington D.C. How do you eat barbecue? Um, do you take your shirt off when you eat barbecue? Is that what you do? That's what I do. Hadas. Yes. Alex, are you going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner? I am. Uh, I am not. Do you have a ticket? Is, your, is it your choice? Or <laughs> oh, wow. You... You're, just, you're just calling me out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or is that your choice? I, I, guess I, I, let's, let's go with it's my choice. Okay. Let's go with that one. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Why are you going? I mean, the president's not going to be there. It's going to be a d- d- bomb, isn't it? Just well, I'm a media reporter, and so I report on the media. And there will be still a lot of media there. Uh, I feel like this will still be... This will, I mean, all throughout Washington, D.C., there are many dinners and award dinners that go on, and some of them are fancier than others. And I feel like now this will just be the bigger one of the fancy award dinners with without all of the pizzazz that is normally around the Correspondents' Dinner. What makes a Correspondents' Dinner so exciting normally is that it is the one dinner of the year where you have not only the random celebrities that show up, but also the president, all the administration officials, um, cabinet officials, and, and it's a great opportunity to mingle with all of them, to mm-hmm. you know make connections, as well as potentially snap random selfies with celebrities <laughs> that I usually don't recognize. I have so many times at the correspondence oh, dinner events yeah. just like walked by well, people, and people are like, "Oh my god, that was something something from Game of Thrones," and I'm like, "I don't watch." Okay, well, cool. here's the thing: you won't have to worry about that this year. Exactly, because like, I will... no celebrities are. Are, going. are any celebrities going? No, I'm sure somebody will show up. No. As a yeah. like as a something go free speech I support journalist thing but I since I sincerely sincerely doubt we will see the same caliber that we have seen in the last eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought maybe because Donald Trump wasn't going that more celebrities would show up as mm-hmm. a sort of like mm-hmm. yeah anti-Trump something or other. I just I, I think that for them obviously they most of them see the correspondence or something that their networks force them to go to. Um, and as far as I know, we're not going to see any celebrities. So aren't you just supporting Donald Trump by not going um, by it's, it's sort of, you know, saying that, that without the president, it's not worth going? Uh, I would say that my choice is irrelevant of the president because I'm choosing to not try really hard to get a ticket. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't given a ticket. Yeah, um, I could try harder to get a ticket. But uh, I don't know. I've been before. It's. Fine. I think the more fun thing about the Correspondents' Dinner is the stuff that happens all around the Correspondents' Dinner Yeah, but a lot itself. of those parties have been canceled this year. Yeah. Uh, 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 but no, I don't think that's supporting... I think everyone agreed that the thing had kind of gotten out of control, but no one knew how to stop it, and we all kept participating in this thing that kind of got out of control. Because who doesn't like a good party? Yeah. And and there was, you know, free booze and celebrities that you could take selfies with, even if you didn't know who they were. <laughs> you would see other people taking selfies with them, and then you'd but, take a selfie. But, but this this is clearly, I mean, that's right. I mean, Donald Trump, two months ahead of time, there was no way. There was no conflict of it, no conflict in scheduling or anything. He was just sending a message saying, I don't like you people. I don't want to hang out. Oh, I mean, you don't his, treat me well, and I don't want to hang out with you. Or as Sean Spicer says, I'm not going to fake it. It's not, Yeah, it's not even a message. Sean Spicer and Kelly and Conway have been very clear that that's the reason that they are not going. And they have yeah. said, maybe next year things will be better and we'll go. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there were many years where 
uh, George W. Bush and Barack Obama did not want to go, or Bill Clinton did not want to go. As far as I know, during all of the Lewinsky stuff, like Bill Clinton went to the correspondence dinner, right? Well, he did. And, you know, you wanted, he, he could have argued, I'm getting, you know, treated unfairly in the media, I'm not going to go. But they still went. Uh, clearly, Donald Trump and his staff just decided that they didn't want to subject themselves to that. Um, or I'm sure also to their base, it would look really bad if Donald Trump was hobnobbing with all these reporters that he calls fake news all the time and it's broadcast live. It's one thing to have private lunches with them. It's one thing to invite them into the Oval Office all the time. It's one thing to call them all the time late at night. It's another thing to have it be broadcast live on CNN and C-SPAN and all these places. You know, it's it, it, it laughing at the jokes. Yeah, and, it doesn't fit in with his brand. Yeah. And and I think it doesn't really fit in with the press's brand at this moment. I mean, we you know, we went after Bill Clinton on the Monica Lewinsky and Obama on, on countless things. But there is undoubtedly undoubtedly a, a lot you know more investigations going into Donald Trump because it has not been accounted for in other places. He has an unprecedented number of potential conflicts of interest. The potential Russia stuff. There is a lot going on, and it's a you know more adversarial relationship than there has been with previous presidents. The Washington Post changes their name to a kind of you know subtle troll of the the president. Their their tagline: mm-hmm. "Democracy dies in darkness." So I think it's a kind of recognition of the reality that this is a different relationship between the press and the president than we had under the last guy. Well, I'll tell you what, Hadas, you will have um, this year when you go you'll have the pleasure of taking a selfie with me because, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going. It's so exciting. And you'll Wait, recognize really? Bill. Yeah. yeah, I am. I've decided. Look at Bill. No, I was torn too because I didn't want to su- give, give the impression that I was taking Donald Trump's side by saying this dinner is not worth going to. Uh, I finally decided, no, I'm going to go. I'm a member of the White House Correspondents Association. So it's my dinner, damn it. And whether Donald Trump comes or not, I'm going to go for and my we'll dinner. We'll have a great time. With, with my friends. And we're going to get to support my colleague, Edward Isaac Dover, who won yeah, the award. Yes, yeah. yes. Thank you for coming out. So save room on your dance card. Hadas Gold, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for coming in. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, the situation in North Korea is becoming more and more serious every single day. On both sides, the rhetoric keeps ratcheting up. Donald Trump says, they got to behave. Mike Pence says, they better not test us militarily. Rex Tillerson says, our patience is running out. And on, on, on the North Korean side, they say they're going to test a new missile every week come hell or high water, and they're even talking about the possibility of nuclear war. I mean, if this keeps up, nuclear war is inevitable. Don't you think that the leader of one country or the other would try to calm things down before they get out of hand? But that's never going to happen. And you know why? Because think about it. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un are the same person. They're both highly unqualified to be the leader of any country. They're both narcissistic nut jobs who glory uh, in their own self-worth and keep promoting themselves. 
They both consider themselves God's gift to humanity. They both treat the military like little toys that they love to play with and show off to their friends. And both of them are capable of doing anything crazy just to prove how macho they are. Yes, with these two nut jobs in charge, God save the planet. This is the Bill Press Show.